If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, we have an interesting and varied conversation today with a serial entrepreneur in literally both sectors, the for-profit sector and the nonprofit sector. And, you know, we've been keeping the podcast simple for, gosh, 100-plus episodes at this point. And so we don't pre-record the intro. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about websites some, but I also have a feeling we're going to be talking about a lot of things of interest to you when we talk to Adam Walker. So let me share a little bit with you about Adam. So first of all, I often think of myself as a busy person. And when I was doing some research, just to make sure I knew everything that Adam was doing since we had him on the podcast the last time, maybe I think it was like on podcast episode 48, so almost 200 episodes ago. So I was doing some research. We've kept up with each other, but you know, Adam does a lot. He's a tough person to keep up with. So let me share with you a little bit more about him. So I already knew that he built and had sold a marketing agency, and I believe he sold that a couple years ago. Um, I also knew that he had built a nonprofit that's called 48 and 48 that builds websites for nonprofit organizations. And I knew he was the CMO, which is Chief Marketing Officer for TechBridge, which is a national organization, but located in Atlanta. So he also is the founder of what I would imagine or think of as tech startups, two, te- two tech startups. One is Together Letters, and that's for people who don't want all the, and organizations that don't want all the burden of social media, um, but still want to be able to connect with people in a social media-like way. And the other is Edgewise, and that's a tech company that will work with a nonprofit or a for-profit, develop not just a podcast, but 20 to, I think it's like 80 different uh, media hits or, you know, marketing hits every single month. Now, that alone would be enough, but I'm still not done. 
Adam hosts, and by the way, I was surprised at this. I knew that he hosted the podcast Tech Talk, y'all, and I subscribe to the podcast and enjoy that podcast. I did not know that he also hosts another podcast, Real Pink, which is Susan G. Komen's podcast. And part of what I love about that is I always say every nonprofit should have a podcast. And well, Adam is helping the Susan G. Komen really live that out. And then the last reason I say he is far, far busier than me is we don't even have houseplants in our home. And Adam shares a home with a spouse and five children and one more on the way. So without a doubt, Adam is probably the one of the busiest guests we have ever had on. And this might be one of the longest introductions I've done in a long, long, long time. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm excited about it. Same here. And I got to let you in on a secret. The first time you came on the podcast, we were not batch recording. We now batch record. We record one day a month, and we try to record five to seven episodes in a day. You are the last recording of the day. And I'll share with you, this is always the best recording. Because like you get get me in like the raw state you're ever going to get. And it's funny because when I when I listen to them when they come back from the editor, Adam, I'm always like, why can't I be like that all the time? Why do I have to get worn down before I'm like this? So we're in for a treat because I know that you're someone who also is a very real type of a person. So this is going to be a great conversation. Oh, yeah. In, in the day, second cup of coffee, I'm ready to go. So I know among one of the many serial entrepreneurial endeavors you have had is you started a nonprofit, 48 and 48. And I know the origin story of that, but I'd love for you to share it with our listeners. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so uh, so to start with, really 48 and 48 got started with, with a couple of simple ideas. The first is most nonprofits do not have good websites. I think that we're going to talk about that a little bit today, right? And, and, and a website is just such a critical component for a nonprofit marketing, any kind of nonprofit marketing campaign or any marketing whatsoever. It's, it is the validation tool for that nonprofit that lets people know that they're, they're for real, that they're serious. So, so that's the first thing is recognizing there's a huge need in this market. The second thing was recognizing that nonprofits don't have a lot of money to spend on websites. Like that's just not something like nonprofits want to spend their money on helping people. They don't want to spend their money on building websites. And I get that. And then the third thing is, there's a lot of marketing professionals that are out there that really want to give of their time, but they don't necessarily want to be on the hook for a, a six month long, you know, multiple calls a month kind of project. And so, uh, so it, it started up with a, a buddy of mine, Jeff Hillemeyer. It was, it was really his idea, and he he sort of suckered me into co-founding it with him. And so that's all his fault, really. And um, we were talking, and he, he calls me up one day, and he goes, "Hey, Adam, I got this idea. I want to do a weekend event." Where we build websites for nonprofits, and I'm running a website design design agency, and I was like, "Oh, that's great! Oh, let's do that for sure." And uh, and then he says, "Okay, so how many do you think we can do in one weekend?" And I said, "He said, do you think we can do ten? I said, "Yeah, no problem. We can do ten. We can get some volunteers." He said, "Can we do 20? Yeah, sure, of course. And he just kept ticking up and up and up. And he finally gets to fifty, and I'm like, "Okay, listen, we can do fifty, but you got to stop. Like that's there, you can't keep asking. Like we can't keep going." And he said, okay, well, let's just back it down to 48 since it's 48 hours and we'll do it and we'll do 48 websites in 48 hours. That's the, that's the marketing, you know, in him. And so I'm like, yes, you know, I'll, I'll be your first volunteer. This will be great. And uh, he says, okay, great. So we're going to meet up here. We're going to, I'm going to get all the people together doing this and, and we're going to meet here at this time. And once you be there, so no problem, I'll be there. And so I showed up and then Jeff starts the meeting and he introduces me as his co-founder. And that's when I found out I was his co-founder for 48 and 48. And, and that's what we did. We, we gathered Atlanta's marketing community together and we all 
collaboratively built 48 websites in 48 hours just to prove that it could be done. And then at the end of that event, you know, Jeff and I are patting ourselves on the back. We're thinking, oh, this is great. You know, we've done a good job. We've done a good deed. This has been awesome. And all the volunteers were like, so when are we doing this next year? And Jeff and I were like, oh, yeah, maybe we should do this again. And then, then we started talking about doing it again and again. We, you know, we expanded to New York and to Boston and uh, let's see, to Miami. I mean, we, to London, um, I mean, all over the world. And then, of course, COVID hits. And, and now we're still doing good, uh, but we're all doing it virtual now. So, so we've got a hybrid event, I think, coming up in October that's going to be part in person here in Atlanta, but, but mostly virtual. And it's going to be global. We're going to have teams. I think the last global event was uh, online. And I think we had teams from 20 different time zones at that event. So um, it's going to be great. We're going to build a whole lot of uh, nonprofit websites uh, for nonprofits. So if you're a nonprofit that needs a website, I don't know if you'll be able to get in on the next event, but you know you could still go ahead and sign up, go through the coursework, and and then get in on a future event and get a free website. So I got a couple of quick questions. Are you all still building forty eight websites in forty eight hours, or are you doing more than that now? It varies a bit. So there are some smaller events where we don't have as many teams, and we we learned the hard way that overburdening teams of volunteers is a bad idea. So we we tried in the early years to always push for forty eight, no matter what. And that did result in some problems. And so now, you know, we have we typically have one team to one website, maybe one team to two websites. We never want to go beyond that. And, and that was the decision of our new executive director, by the way, uh, Seema, Seema Parikh. Seema's amazing, wonderful person, great leader. She's brought so many people to the table. And really, she leads the whole thing. I'm like a minor volunteer at this point. And so, uh, but, but that was a great decision. But then at the global event, I think uh, the last number I've heard is we're going to have over 350 volunteers al- already signed up for the global event that's coming in October. So I expect we'll be north of 500 volunteers by the time it rolls around. So very likely we'll do m- many more than 48 websites at that event. So yes, we do more sometimes and sometimes we do a little bit less. And, you know, I almost never do the URL promo early, but we're still going to do the URL promo because you said, hey, if, if an organization wants to apply, it should. What's the URL on that? Yeah, so it's uh, 48in48.org. So that's 48in48.org. And you can just look for the nonprofit application right there on the site. That's awesome. And we're going to link to that in the show notes as well. So got a really important question for you here. And and I think this would be true whether 48 and 48 is doing it or whether a nonprofit is using a consultant or a firm to build a new website for them. Let's say it's a nonprofit and they've got their website, like literally the last time they've they've done a major overhaul, rework of their website was so long ago that it's in something archaic like Joomla, right? So <laughs> run. That's my first advice. Well, well, but but so but my question is not not for the consultant, should they run? My question is for the organization. Obviously, you've got a really outdated website if, yeah. it, if it's in something like that. Um, yeah. it's probably 20, maybe 25 years old, at least originally it was, and it's really hard to update and very few people can update it. What are your recommendations for them as they start to think about, okay, we need to we need to scrap this website and mm-hmm. build something brand new. This is not salvageable. Yeah, I mean, so as far as easy to implement, or I should, I should say easy to manage systems out there, I still think WordPress is still at the top of the heap. I mean, it is, is, as long as it's been there, I'm, it's surprising. And there are new technologies that are coming out that are going to, I think, eventually start to marginalize it at least a little bit. But ultimately, if you're talking about a website where you need to manage the content yourself, so you're not paying somebody else to manage the site, 
And you need to be able to add features, for example, that aren't very expensive. So like, let's say you need to add a calendar, like there's a great free plugin for that on WordPress. Whereas with other platforms, there may not be a calendar plugin at all, or you may have to pay more money for it. And so um, I do find that, that WordPress is still, I mean, it's still the king as far as that goes. It's, it's at the top of the heap um, and it'll, it'll allow you to really manage it well. And what else should organizations be thinking about? Like when I think back on those websites from the late 90s and early noughts, like, gosh, those were often really complicated websites with, you know, like drop-down menus that had 12 choices in each one. I, I know you can picture this, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so here's what I would say. Um, there's always a temptation in marketing to make things overly complicated and to use insider language. And you've got to fight against all of it. It has to be remarkably simple. And, I, and by remarkably simple, I mean like you should be able to put a middle schooler in front of this website and they should be able to navigate to exactly the page with the information that you asked them to navigate to. And they should be able to read the content on that page and fully understand what's there. And, and that's the part that I think most nonprofits miss is they, they try to overcomplicate their language. They try, they try to, to over-impress their users in a sense. And I don't think they do it intentionally. It just gets over-engineered. And so like a great example is, you know, you mentioned I'm, I'm CMO at TechBridge and TechBridge is an amazing nonprofit that serves other nonprofits technology needs. And when I came in, like one of the things I looked at was the website. And, and honestly, at the website that I inherited, I could not understand fundamentally what TechBridge did. Like I couldn't look anywhere on the website and really get a grasp and, and wrap my head around what we do as an organization. And so one of the first things I did is like, we've got to rebuild this and, and dramatically simplify every single page. And if you look on our website now, it's dramatically simplified and you can go to a what we do page and it's this nice gr like overview, graphic kind of overview of everything we do and it breaks it down very clearly. And so I think that's the thing is you, you've got to make sure that all of your messaging is so clear that a middle schooler can understand it. And that's always step number one. So I guess we're going to then start to think about the middle school test. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a bad way to think about it, right? Like most people read in most marketing, most books are really written at what, like an eighth grade level. And so if that's true, we're conditioned to read at an eighth grade level. I mean, that's just how we are. That's how we're wired because we're not reading at these college levels that we once read at anymore. And if that's true, and we love to scan and you can't scan complex academic stuff. You can scan eighth grade level stuff. And so we've got to write at that level to make it scannable, to make it consumable. And honestly, it helps Google scan it and consume it as well. So it's gonna, you're going to improve some of your SEO scores that way too. All right. So I, I know most of our listeners know what SEO is, but can we talk about SEO for a quick second? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So search engine optimization, what do you want to know? Or what do you want to talk about? Well, so I, I could see a nonprofit saying, all right, I, I could see why Amazon wants SEO. I could see even why successful nonprofits want SEO. Why does my nonprofit want SEO? Man, that's a great question. So first of all, uh, volunteers, right? Uh, I mean, if, if you want volunteers to find you, if they're looking for volunteer opportunities, they're probably going to go to Google. Uh, they're going to ask there. They're going to look there. So I think that's important. I think donors, I think it's really important for, for gaining donors. And, and, and most important, it's really for the people that you're serving. So like back to TechBridge as, a, as an example, because that's where my brain is at such a large majority of the time right now. 
Like we need to be competing, we as in TechBridge need to be competing for search engine terms that are important to the nonprofits that we serve. And so we've got to be competing and we've got to be competitive in those areas and we have to be creating content in order to draw in the right traffic so that we can serve more nonprofits so that we can do more good in the world. So, so ultimately the answer to your question is we need to care about search engine optimization because it allows us to connect with the right communities of people and therefore allows us to do more good in our given areas. I, I love that. And to ping off of that, I think I think especially if you are doing any type of fee for service, you know, you are competing with for profits. But oh, the, big time. the other thing I think about, you know, we're in an unusual media age. And you know, this podcast I think of as a very, 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 very small part of a media landscape. Very like minuscule, like, you know, atomic sized in the landscape. But one of the things I think about is, you know, journalism is not what it used to be. There used to be beat reporters. And, you know, those beat reporters knew everything about whatever their topic area was, city hall or health or whatever it is. And now what happens so often is most media outlets have a few generalists on staff and a lot of contractors. And, you know, and, and as I think about this, for example, with a podcast, sometimes Lexi and I would be like, you know, we really want to talk about and then fill in the blank. And neither she nor I know someone, like, for example, websites, I know I'm going to call up Adam Walker. But if we're going to talk about something else, I might not have someone immediately in mind that I'm like, this is the best person for us to talk to. And so yeah. what do I do? I go to Google or Lexi yep. goes to Google and we and we put it in. I'm like, okay, who could we talk to? And so if we're not thinking about search engine optimization, then we also are, you know, the media can't find out about us because yeah. we're going to be on page four and they're not making it to page four. Yep. That's right. Yeah, it's really, really important. And, and just thinking about how we're creating content and how that plays into SEO, but then also how that plays into social and every other marketing channel is really important. But it, but again, it all comes back to the website as the hub of all of those things. It's the foundation for all of your other marketing efforts. One of the other foundations of marketing efforts, and and I know you're doing this some with Edgewise, not really some, you're doing this a lot with Edgewise. But I think one of the other foundations of marketing efforts is to figure out how to create content, but also how to repurpose that content in all sorts of different ways. And and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a great promo toward the end about Edgewise, but share with us like the importance of repurposing and some ways that real nonprofits do that. Yeah, I mean, so, so it's interesting. That, that's why I started Edgewise really was the concept that you can take a podcast and it can actually drive every piece of marketing content you need from one podcast episode. And, and so the way that I think about that is, is pretty straightforward. So if you think about it, right? So most organizations have a podcast and I'm just using podcasts, but we could use blog or you could insert video or whatever piece of long form content you want here. But an organization will have a podcast and typically they'll release it and people will listen to it and then it goes away. Like that's, that's the whole thing. But what if instead you transcribe it? So you, you put that transcript on your website. So you're going to get some SEO juice. That's the industry term. I kid you not. It's a stupid term, but nonetheless, that's the term. You can get some SEO juice out of it. But then you could also take that transcript, turn it into a blog post pretty quickly and pretty easily. So then you're getting even more written content out of it for SEO. Then uh, because there's so many varied topics and questions inside of a podcast, you can take that one, say, 30-minute episode or even 20-minute episode, turn it into easily five social posts. So think about like audio clips, think about short video clips, uh, audiograms, uh, or, or even pull quotes, graphics with pull quotes, graphics with my pretty face on them. Like all of those things, 
you can so easily five, you know, five social posts. Then if you're on YouTube and you want to start to start, start to hack that search engine, and by the way, YouTube is the second largest search engine. So if you want to rank in another search engine other than Google, YouTube is probably the best place to start. If you want to go to Bing, that's a waste of time. And so um, so you can go to YouTube and you can add in, you know, like like you can easily cut up and have two to five videos out of just this conversation you and I are having, right? So you can take one podcast recording and turn it into 15 pieces of marketing content that are then going to drive all of your marketing efforts for the next you know, week or two weeks or whatever it is. And then you record another piece and you do it all over again. Um, and then the nice thing about it is, is then you've got all this material that's really not dated. Like it's not, it's evergreen. So you've got all these assets that you can actually reshare again and again and again. And I didn't even mention, but you can also, and I love this and you may already do this, but you can record the podcast. Then you can add in like nice video intros and outros and lower thirds and make it look all fancy. And then you can restream it as a live stream and get the, the juice from all of the social platforms that love live streaming right now, and they'll promote you. So, I mean, it's just so much content you can create from one thing. It's great. So, first of all, Adam, I don't do that primarily because I'm not that hip and my bandwidth is somewhat narrow. But a couple of thoughts that immediately came to mind. The one thing I'm going to push back on, you said, you know, lots of organizations have a blog or a podcast. And I have to share with you, I have... In fact, this happened today. I needed to go to an organization's website, nonprofit organization's website for something. And I was trying to I was trying to find somebody's name and I was like, well, maybe, maybe it's in their blog. So I clicked on blog and really I was trying to find their their current executive director's name. I did not see it on LinkedIn and I, f- I forgot who it was. And so I'm like, let me go to their blog, see if it's in their blog. Their most recent blog post was 2019. Yeah, that's pain. You just got to take down the blog at that point. Like just be done with it. If if you're not going to be active don't exist at all. It just, it's all or nothing with that stuff. And I agree with you in part because I look at that and I'm like, okay. And the other thing, this is also, I think, really common with blogs. I scrolled down it a little bit and it started in 2019 and it ended 2019. And that told me a lot about that organization. You know, someone had a good idea. They did it for three, four, five months. There wasn't traction. And they said, we're not getting trouble. And we all know blogging traction is not a six-month game. Um, oh, man, it's a year's game. I mean, right. podcast traction too, all of it is a year's game. But when it kicks in, it kicks in big. And that and that's the payoff. Right, right. But but so, so that would be my first pushback. My second, though, is I also think, especially with podcasting, right now a lot of organizations, that's not true, a few organizations, I've already said most don't have a podcast. I think every organization should have a podcast. A few organizations have a podcast, but they're not doing it well. And mm-hmm. so um, w- an example I will give is there's an organization that I know, I'm not going to name them, I'm about to say some things about them. An organization that I know decided to do a podcast. Okay. And so they were allowing people, and by the way, I made these mistakes as an early podcaster too. So like, and part of that is because I'm stubborn and stupid because because I read that I should not have done this and I did it anyway. I'm like, oh, what, what do all those other experienced podcasters know? Me, I've never done a podcast. I must know something. So I'm right. stubborn and stupid. That's essentially yeah. what my mom would have said to me. But so I made these mistakes because of, for that reason. But so, so like they would allow people to call in on a cell phone to do their interviews. But then the other thing is, they posted their podcast to a hosting service like a Libsyn or a SoundCloud, but they weren't paying the money necessary for it to be distributed on an RSS feed. 
So then oh, what they no. would do, yeah, I don't, I'm not making this up. So then what they would do is they they would send out a link, like, no. like go to Libsyn or go to SoundCloud and listen to this. And I actually I had a conversation with them and I was like, I was like, it's 20 bucks a month. If yeah. you're putting all of this other energy, staff time, yeah. everything else into this, like, like I was like, I, I'm not, and the interesting thing is it's an organization I would probably listen to their podcast. Right, but, yeah. I, but I'm not going to SoundCloud or Libsyn every week. If, if it's no. on my streamer, I'm going to do it. If it's yep. not, forget it. Well, or or use anchor.fm. It's free. Like, it, it, And honestly, it's great. I use it for Tech Talk, y'all. We moved over to it years ago. It's been fantastic. So, I mean, anchor.fm is it's just, it, I don't get any kickbacks from that, by the way. But I mean, it, but it's great. <laughs> I, I really like it. So, there you go. So, Adam, now I feel bad because I've been wasting 20 bucks a month all these years. I actually do not, I'm not familiar with anchor.fm. So, really uh, so they, just, they just recently got purchased by Spotify. So actually, in, 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 in fact, uh, interestingly, they just released a feature where you can play full-length Spotify songs in your podcast through Anchor.fm. Now, the, the caveat is it only plays for listeners that are listening in Spotify because that's where they have the rights. But I, but I think at the end of Tech Talk Y'all, now I'm going to actually start adding a Spotify song at the end just because I can. And then my Spotify listeners can appreciate that and everybody else just won't know the difference. So... You just said something to me, and I'm sorry, listeners. I'm kind, I'm kind of going down a nerd, uh, and I'm not calling you a nerd, Adam. I'm calling myself a nerd. It's okay. I'm um, a nerd. It's it's cool. Yeah. I'm kind of going down a, a nerd podcast rabbit hole. You just said something to me, which means that tells me I will never ever move my podcast over to Anchor.fm, and that's that they've been acquired by Spotify, and I subscribe to Spotify. And l- listeners, you can you can hear this podcast on Spotify, but but they're doing some things around podcasting that frankly make me a little queasy so uh, so i'm like i'm out if that's if, fair if spotify's that's fair. fingers are on that are on that button i'm out i just figure um, i'll get more features out of it so i'm all about some good features so uh yeah you probably will and can i tell you something in in 5 more years adam i'm going to go i was stubborn and stupid i should have just embraced the spotify train i was stubborn and stupid <laughs> there you go i love it i love it so sorry, I was, that was a long tangent off of, okay, let, let's repurpose stuff. Um, so I agree with you 100%. It is always such a good idea to like get a transcript or take your blog post and splice it into some other ways. But I know we talked some about the podcast and how you can do that, your blog post, because that often feels a lot more static to people. You know, you know, like you can't do audio clips, you can't do video clips. So what do you suggest on the blog post to repurpose that? Oh man. Uh, so most blog posts, if, if they're long enough, right? So if it's like a 200 word blog post, there's, there's only so much repurposing you can do, but any blog post that's, that's long enough and has enough ideas in it. I mean, you can pull all kinds of graphics out of it, any kind of, I mean, all kinds of pull quotes. So I, I would do, I would think about it in terms of this, I'd read through the blog post and actually just trained a nonprofit on this, trained their entire marketing department on how to do this specifically. And actually pulled, I think four or five blog posts from their website and just walked them through sort of my, my process and strategy for doing it. And essentially, it's pretty simple. It's read through the blog post with a fresh set of eyes, right? Any quote that stands out that could stand on its own that's in any way interesting, write that down or highlight that or whatever. That can easily become a graphic if it's powerful enough. Uh, then look at any lists you have in there. And most blog posts are going to have some kind of list, unordered list or a list. And, and those easily become graphics as well. Uh, you could also think about, I mean, you could think about doing like an audio version of it. It wouldn't take that much to read a blog post. So you could, you could think of it that way as well. So I, I will tell you the bonus breaks, which are much, much shorter solo episodes, and we do them periodically. Those actually started with me just reading the blog posts. I'm now at the point where I just, I can't read on the podcast anymore. People can tell I'm reading. So I, so I do bullet points, but it's funny when you said that, I thought, oh yeah, that, that's how I started the bonus breaks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, 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 even if you're just summarizing a podcast, like that's fine. Like read the podcast first, 
write down your keynotes, take three minutes. I mean, I used to do that. Actually, I had a, I had my own little podcast and I, I just haven't had time to deal with it, but I would write a, I'd write a blog post and then I would, and I use that to sort of frame my thinking, right? To really, because when you write, you organize your, your thinking, it's very organized. So I, I would write the outline, I'd write the blog post. I would then record a podcast, rehashing the podcast, the blog post, but not word for word so that it sounded natural and authentic. And then I think I, I did a few other things. I did some video from that and some other things as well. So, I mean, that's a great way to just have a whole process to produce a whole bunch of stuff. And if I can just throw one more thing on there, I think I may have actually written a blog post about that. I don't think I've done a bonus break, but I might have. Um, but I have written a blog post about this. So I'm going to throw one more thing on there. To me, the one huge lost opportunity in the nonprofit sector is no one is repurposing their executive director reports. Mm, so executive yep. directors will take half a day to yep. write a beautiful report to the board. Here's all the great things that are happening in the organization. That could be blog posts, you know, that could be that that could be mini podcasts. Pieces of that could be turned into letters for major donors to say, hey, want to let you know what's going on this month at the organization. There are literally like a dozen ways that a marketing person or even the executive director themselves of a small nonprofit could repurpose that ED report and make a much bigger splash. Or impact report or end of the year report or whatever report. I mean, every nonprofit's creating some kind of report and that can become an insane amount of marketing material if you're thoughtful about it. I mean, a month's worth easily. So yeah, absolutely should be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam, Got to make sure that we leave some time for this off the map question because I got a good one for you. Okay, shoot. I know that at one point in your life, you were really into woodworking and you built an eight foot long kitchen table. Now, admittedly, I'm somewhat intrigued by the eight foot long kitchen table, but I'm much, much more intrigued by a kitchen that needs an eight foot long kitchen table. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so, so the story behind that is, is actually relatively simple. Um, so number one, as you mentioned earlier, we, uh, I'm, I'm married, I've got five kids. And we're in the process of adopting a sixth child from China, but because of COVID-19, we're delayed. So we had moved into this house and we had this like tiny kitchen, like round kitchen table with four chairs. Like that was what we had. And we had a, we had a pretty decent sized kitchen, you know, eating area. And we realized like, this is stupid. We can't use this table here. This is ridiculous. And so my wife said, well, why don't you just build a table? And I was like, I'm always up for a challenge, right? Like you can't possibly can't say that and I'm not going to do it. So now I'm going to do it. And I got, I got a, a friend involved and we started, we basically measured in there and it was like, we could barely fit an eight foot long table, like in this space, like, just, like you could get around it, but it was a little big for the space, but not too bad. And, but we needed it, right? I mean, we, we were going to sit, you know, seven of us there and plus friends or anything else. So I actually built the table and then I built a bench for one side. So we could like stack in more people. So it actually made like extended family meals pretty nice, like Thanksgiving, because we could really pack them into that table. It was pretty great. So uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. And then, and then of course we moved and it no longer worked anymore. So I had to find a new home for my eight foot long kitchen table. Um, but that's a whole other story. So, and so I've got to ask new home, like, is it an institution somewhere that like, and it's a serious question, like where, who took an eight foot long table? Well, no, no, no. It, it, when I say new home, um, what I did is, is, is I slapped an, an insane amount of polyurethane on it and I set it on my new deck is what I, what got I really it. Did, Okay, which I think probably was a mistake. And it's going to ruin it in the long run, but I think it's going to take a long time to ruin it. And that's okay because it was fun. It was a fun process and, and it was, you know, it worked out fine. That's awesome. I share with you right before we got on that um, we just moved in a new place and 
in our own life, we were, by the way, we, we downsized um, into an apartment for a couple of years. And so we, we had to get rid of our dining room table. So when we moved, I knew we had to get a new dining room table. And so I played with the idea of making one. And um, my husband was like, why don't, we, why don't we just think about buying one? It's like, no, I have these great ideas. Let me tell you all these. And, um, and eventually he was like, Dolph, let's just go buy one. And I'll share with you, we got a table that we really love, and it's beautiful. And there are times that I think he's just a wiser human being than me. Like, there was less, like, cussing and, you know, ah, I messed this up in the garage. <laughs> yeah, well, well I, w- I will tell you, it took substantially longer to create that kitchen table and in the finishing part is the problem. And the finishing takes forever. I thought I was never going to finish. So, uh, it, yeah, it, I think that was a good a good move. And I think in the future, I'll probably be buying my tables. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, and, and part of it is I was looking at something that was probably well way above my scalability. So, like, you know, it's so like in eighth grade industrial arts table, I could absolutely build because I did yeah. eighth grade industrial arts. But I was looking at like, oh, let me see if I can get a, a slab of a tree shipped down from Maine or the Pacific Northwest. And then, I, and then I'm going to smooth it out and yeah, in, there you make go. a beautiful live edge tree. And that, that's when he was like, Dolph, no, Th- this is just a really bad idea. And you just need to, <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> That was it. Was wise to listen. I think that was a good move. Yeah, you know, it was. It was at the time. I was like, I love you, and this is what I'm going to do. And I look back, and I'm like, oh, that it was so much better. I, I did not spend months building something that I regretted. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. I want to make sure our listeners know how to reach out to you. There are three URLs, listeners. I want you to know about. The first is AdamJWalker.com. Um, and from there, I think you can actually get a link to Tech Talk Y'all as well if you want to listen to his podcast. Getawordin.com, which is Edgewise's URL. And so, uh, so that, that's actually getaword.in, uh, just so you know. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. You, I, oh, I'm so yeah, sorry. .in is the extension on that one. I yeah, getaword.in. I am so <laughs> sorry. I did that wrong. So it is getaword.in. I apologize. And so that is the URL for Edgewise, which is... Uh, one of Adam's companies, and you know, as I, as we talked about, what they do is they help you put together a podcast, and they repurpose the content from that podcast in lots of different ways. And then the last one is TogetherLetters.com. If you love the connection of Facebook or other social media, but you don't love maybe the public aspect of it, or perhaps you don't love, I don't know, like the fact that your crazy Uncle Charlie or your crazy Aunt Jill always post weird things to your timeline, well, TogetherLetters.com can help you with that because it'll essentially allow you to set up your own little node on the web where you can invite people to connect. So, Adam, thank you again for coming on. Oh, thanks, Dolph. This is so much fun, man. I really appreciate what you're doing. And listeners, thanks so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I was smiling a lot. Adam was smiling a lot. And so I hope as you were listening to it, you were smiling and also going, oh, yeah, I should think about asking my friend with a middle schooler to look at our website and then tell me what it is that we do. I know that was one of my big takeaways, and I may actually do that with not only my consulting practices website, but a couple other websites as well. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, there are two that I want you to download and listen to. The first is episode 102 with Jesse Lane. And that episode is about the top three nonprofit website fails. 
If you're ready to replace that Joomla website with something maybe a little more modern, WordPress-y kind of a website, you know, that would be a good episode for you to listen to as well. And the last one, we talked a good little bit about podcasting today, and episode 134 is broadcast with your own podcast with Matthew Passy. So make sure you check that one out as well. Listeners, you know, I want to leave you with a couple quick asks. I think this episode is releasing middle to end of September 2021. And at this point, we're pretty much fully booked in terms of our client work for the rest of the year. But if you're thinking about strategic planning or board development or executive transitions or anything like that that might be happening in 2022, now would be a good time to have conversations with us. We are already essentially booking our clients for early 2022. Listeners, that is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. All right, I've waited enough seconds that I can now tell you the disclaimer. And you know, the lawyers make me say it. I probably would not say it other than the fact that they do. So you already know I'm not an attorney, nor I'm an accountant. And you know why? I didn't go to attorney school and I didn't go to accounting school. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that's what you're looking for, if you or your organization need that type of assistance, please find a licensed, credentialed, qualified person in your area and seek out their expertise. If you're not sure what type of a professional you need, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to help you figure that out. And if you know what you need, but you don't know somebody, you can also reach out to me. If I know someone in your area, I'm happy to make that connection.